Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Podcasts, television broadcasts, website archives, Facebook Live, millions of churches around the world, radio stations, YouTube, Instagram. Our access to preaching is greater than it's ever been at any point in history. On every device, in every home, with just a couple of clicks or just by scrolling through your social media feed, depending on who you follow, you can be listening to a clip of someone preaching God's Word somewhere. There's more spiritual content available to our generation than any generation in the history of the human race. That can be a wonderful blessing, or it can be a dangerous reality. The variety of preaching out there is endless. You can find funny preaching, boring preaching, entertaining preaching, emotional preaching, loud preaching, long preaching, informative preaching, confusing preaching, helpful preaching, and sadly sometimes hurtful preaching. Christ-centered preaching, man-centered preaching, Bible-based preaching, heretical preaching, and just about every other adjective that you can think of. It's out there. If you're to walk into 20 different churches in Orange County alone, you'll find a vast variety of, of people, uh, styles and content and people uh, preaching or what they call preaching. So how do we choose the preaching that we allow into our lives? How do we choose what church to attend? What pastor to help to spiritually feed us on a regular basis? This morning as we finish up chapter 18 in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts, I bring a message entitled, Our Approach to Preaching. Our Approach to Preaching. Would you turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Acts in chapter number 18. We're going to turn to a couple different places this morning. We'll look at the words of of the writer Luke talking about the life and ministry of Paul and some others in Acts, and then we'll read some of the words of Paul in another book. Acts in chapter number 18, in our last message three, three weeks ago, I brought a message entitled, God Keeps His Promises. And we looked at the promises of God in the first half of, of Acts 18, and by way of introduction, we're going to pick up where we left off that Sunday in the middle of Acts 18. And where we are, we find Paul in the midst of his second missionary journey, really coming toward the end of his second missionary journey, and that's where we find ourselves. We're going to look at Acts chapter number 18, beginning in verse number uh, 22, if you will. Acts 18, verse, I'm sorry, uh, Acts 18, verse 18. Acts 18, verse 18. We're going to read through verse 22. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence, he was in Corinth, he sails thence into Syria, and with him, who's with him, church? Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue. So he leaves them in their, their place of lodging there in Ephesus, and he goes to the synagogue to begin preaching and reason with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. They wanted him to stay longer in Ephesus, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. There was one of the annual feasts in Jerusalem. But I will return again unto you. Do you see the next three words? For the next three words, church, it says, if God will. I almost developed an entire message around that. But may I just stop and throw in a little commercial here. That's how we ought to live our lives, if God will. Yes, we can make some plans and we can pray and set some directions for our lives and for our families, but we, sh- we need to understand that if God wills, and in the South they used to say, if the good, Lord, uh, if, if the good Lord's a willing and the creek don't rise, if God will. And Paul lived his life, his plans were held very loosely. I want to I live according to God's will. Now I'm planning to come back to you, and, and I, I believe God will let me come back here to Ephesus 
but it's only if God will let me. And that's a good way to live with our plans held fairly loosely and saying, God, here's where I believe you're leading me, but I'm open to your will. And that's just a commercial. I decided not to preach a whole message on it, but, but we could have there. He said, I'm planning to return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. What we see here is the conclusion of Paul's second missionary journey. We'll, we'll throw that map up that you had there of the second missionary journey. And, and we see Paul uh, on the left there coming from Corinth and he sails to Ephesus. That's what we just read. And sometimes it's hard because in the Bible, what we can read in one verse can sometimes take days, weeks, months, or even years. And, and sometimes we don't see kind of that time and space in there, uh, depending on where we're reading. But what we just read in three or four verses has Paul going from Corinth, sailing to Ephesus. He's there for a little while. He continues to sail. He makes his way to Caesarea. We just read it. And then he goes to Jerusalem for the feast, the very bottom of the screen, and then back up to Antioch. Antioch was the home church that sent Paul and Barnabas out. Then it sent Paul and Silas out on the second missionary journey. Now he's back where he started. He concludes the second missionary journey and the churches that had been planted, the, the Christians that had been encouraged. And that's where we find ourselves. Now verse number 23. And after he had spent some time there in, in Antioch, the home church, he departed and went all over the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Again, another one verse that we read, and if we're not careful, if we don't understand the context, we just kind of read it, but there's a whole lot that happened in that verse that we don't really get the details of. That verse is the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey, and we have a map of that that they'll throw up. Paul's third missionary journey and it starts there in Antioch and Galatia. You see the, the bold yellow letters there right next to Asia. It says Galatia. That was a region. When you read the book of Galatians, uh, that epistle, it says to the churches at Galatia. Some of the letters that Paul wrote were written to individual churches, uh, to a single church. Others were just written to Christians at large. Galatians was written to churches in that region. They were supposed to read it and pass it along to the other churches. So he's there. We just read that. He's, he's strengthening the churches in Galatia. And the reason I believe that this map puts a purple dotted line instead of the green was because as you study his third missionary journey, he retraces his steps. And if they had put the green line there, it would just get really hard to understand wh where he was going and where he was first and second. So it follows the green line all the way to Corinth area. And then you see him kind of retracing his steps and he ends back up in Jerusalem. We won't get there today. So we see, see where he was, Corinth on the left. He sails over to Ephesus. Ephesus is where we're going to spend most of our time today. It's where the, the book Ephesians, he writes that later back to the Christians that get saved in Ephesus, the people that get saved in Ephesus. And that's where we find ourselves. Now, verse 24. So I wanted to show you the map because Paul is, has left Ephesus. He left Priscilla and Aquila there. And he's begun his journeys on his third missionary journey. But now the writer, Luke, takes us back in verse 24. And we're not with Paul anymore. We're now back in Ephesus. So now notice what it says. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, there in Egypt, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. Another man that is going to become somewhat well-known and mightily used of God in his preaching ministry comes onto the scene, and that is a man by the name of Apollos. Apollos comes from Alexandria. The Bible says he was eloquent and he was mighty in the scriptures. Apollos would be used to have a wonderful ministry in the first century. Some throughout history, including uh, the, the leader of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, have suggested that Apollos may be the human uh, uh, penman, the human writer of the book of Hebrews. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us who the writer of Hebrews was, but some have suggested that Apollos may have written Hebrews. Many others think it may have been Paul, and there are some other, other names that folks consider. But, but a well-known, mightily used man comes onto the scene for the first time here, Apollos. Now look at verse 25. This man, Apollos, was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the Spirit. So he's passionate. He's excited. He spake and taught diligently 
the things of the Lord. So think about the adjectives we have of him. Eloquent, mighty in the scriptures. When you're reading in the New Testament and it says mighty in the scriptures, it's talking about the Old Testament almost always because they didn't have the New Testament. They were living the New Testament. They didn't have the books that we have today. So we often will refer to the entire Bible as scripture. When they refer to scripture, they're often talking about the Old Testament. So he, he was mighty in the Old Testament. He knew the truths of the Old Testament. He had been, he had been, uh, uh, he had, is it getting a little cold in here? Are you guys, are people cold? That's my fault. I was sitting there and I said, is it a little warm in here? And it felt warm and I texted Doug and he, our air conditioners are working well. That's good news, folks. Because now I'm cold and I'm never cold up here. My fingers are cold. So that happened in about 10 minutes. Well, it'll keep you awake if nothing else. I saw, I saw, you know, I, the thing, I saw you do this. And I don't see, I don't see people breathe, breathing into their hands very often in church. He's got a hoodie on and he just did that. And I was feeling a little cool. So I thought, okay, it must not just be me. And uh, thank you, Doug, for turning it down. And now we're going to put you all to sleep. It's going to be a sauna in here in about five minutes. So it talks about him being eloquent, mighty in the scriptures. And then it says here, he, he was fervent in spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Now notice what it says in verse 25. Knowing only the baptism of John. There were some gaps in his understanding. Verse 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And he was dis when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. We'll talk about those verses a little more as we continue on. If we can throw that third missionary journey up one more time, I just want to make sure we're all clear on, the, uh, on, on where we're at. So we're in Ephesus right there, that green dot right underneath Asia. We're in Ephesus. Apollos comes onto the scene. He's going to preach. And then it says, actually throw the second map, if you will. That map labels Achaia. The second map. And so we're in Ephesus. What's going to happen? He's going to preach there mightily. Aquila and Priscilla are going to help him. And then they're going to recommend him. And he's going to cross back over to Achaia. You see where Corinth is, that, those gold letters there, those brown letters? Achaia, where Athens is. And he's going to go and preach. And the folks at Corinth, the, the believers at Corinth that Paul had left behind, are going to love him. We'll see that a little later. I just want to make sure we had the context of the location, the, what's happening, the characters that we're talking about. And now we jump in to our message. So we see here a new preacher comes on the scene and God uses him mightily. What lessons can we learn from this account of the beginning of Apollo's preaching ministry in Ephesus and beyond? What should our approach to preaching be? When we're looking at a church, when we're looking at a book or a podcast or listening to preaching online, what, what, what should be most important to us? What do we see here as Apollos comes onto the scene? I'm going to give us a few thoughts this morning. The first one will be the longest, and then the next, the next few won't be as long. But number one, what should our approach to preaching be? Our approach to preaching, number one, should be substance over style. Substance over style. There are all kinds of different preaching and preachers, and I'm thankful for it, for many of them. And, and when I was growing up, I kind of thought you, 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 you kind of, the, the preachers that you like or that are entertaining to you or that speak to your heart the most, boy, I've got to preach like him and I've got to be funny like him and I've got to be heart-wrenching like him and I've got to, and you know, the reality is if God's called us to teach or preach, we just need to be who we are. And we need to share what God shares with us. And sometimes that, that's, that's a real dynamic kind of personality. And, and oftentimes I get really excited about what I'm preaching. And so I'll start talking too fast. And if you think I talk fast now, you should have heard me 10 or 15 years ago. This is me very slowed down. I've, I've worked on it. Stick around for another 10 or 15 more years and you might be able to catch all of the words. But, but I've heard others that are very deliberate and very slow. And, and God will use that. In the South, there are camp meeting preachers, what they'll call wind-sucking preachers. Have you ever heard, some of you have heard some of those, and they'll kind of they'll breathe in after every syllable and, and after every word. And, and I've heard emotional preachers, preachers that can hardly preach without a tear coming to their eye, a tender heart and a heart of compassion. Others have a gift for bringing a smile or just joy or an encouragement. That's, that's, that's who they are. That's how, how God ministers the word through them. Some preachers are great at giving us a pat on the back. 
Others, a kick in the seat. And God uses all different styles of preaching and preachers. We see here that Apollos had a persuasive and powerful style, but what was most important was that he was mighty in the scriptures. The Bible says he was eloquent. The Bible says he was fervent in spirit. The Bible says, but where we see God using him really mightily was when his substance, the gaps that were missing in his preaching got filled in. Where his mighty in the scriptures, and more important than any style of preaching, is the substance of what the preacher is preaching. You see, by nature, most of us are naturally drawn to style, and that can often cause us to swallow preaching that lacks scriptural substance. Somebody has a winsome personality or a persuasive way of speaking, and if we're not careful, we can, swallow, uh, we can swallow preaching that does not have any scriptural substance because of the style. Oh no, st- the, the substance is far more important than any style that a preacher is preaching. Verse 2 says that Apollos was from Alexandria, home to the greatest library in the world at that time, more than 700,000 volumes. Alexandria was also where the Greek translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, where that was translated from Hebrew. Apollos was a scholarly, it was a scholarly place, Alexandria. He was obviously a well-educated and well-spoken man. He was passionate and God had great things in store for him, but he had some gaps in his understanding and knowledge of Scripture. The Bible says in verse 25, knowing only the baptism of John, his knowledge and understanding of some of what had happened in Christ's ministry. And I like that Aquila and Priscilla didn't hear him, and they were a little bit more mature maybe and seasoned. They had, they had, they had lived with Paul for some time. They had seen Paul's ministry up, up close firsthand. They had worked together on a daily basis with Paul. And I'm glad they didn't just say, well, he's eloquent. He's persuasive. He's got most of it right. I'm glad that they didn't just say, well, he's a convincing and captivating speaker. They realized he was a good man. I believe he was a saved man here. He was well-intentioned, but he was not preaching the whole message of Christ. And so what did Aquila and Priscilla do? They chose substance over style. They expounded, the Bible says in verse 26, they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. May I say this with the plethora of preaching that is out there, may I say this, doctrine matters. I don't care if the preaching is loud. Sometimes that we think the, the louder we are, the, the more right we are. Or the, the, I don't care if the preaching is loud or quiet, funny, touching, engaging, or abrasive. It needs to be true to Scripture. You've heard me give the quote from Charles Spurgeon before. The motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. There are people across Orange County, there are people across California, across our nation and around the world. There are some of the most popular preachers with the biggest uh, television and internet followings that, that are preaching, and, and they, are, they have great followings, but it's more style than it is substance. They're not true to Scripture. You say, Pastor Ryan, are you always true to Scripture? I'm not a perfect preacher. And I'm sure there have been times and there will be times that I, I, I miss it and I preach things that are not true to Scripture. But one of the reasons that I preach things like this when we come to it in Scripture is to try to hold myself accountable that my preaching does not veer into just a style or maybe it's an encouraging style or it's a manipulative style or whatever it might be and it's just my opinions and my thoughts and my traditions and my preferences. No, what should our approach to, scripture, to preaching be? We should choose substance over style. Aquila and Priscilla, Apollos was captivating. And by the way, he had a lot of good truth. But they said there's there's some things missing here and we're going to help him. Spurgeon also said, leave Christ out. Oh, my brethren, better leave the pulpit out altogether. If a man can preach one sermon without mentioning Christ's name in it, it ought to be his last, certainly the last that any Christian ought to go hear him preach. In 2021, it seems many of those who profess to be Christians are much more interested in style over substance. We want to find a pastor who will tell us what we want to hear. The Bible has a term for that. It says in the last days there will be people having itching ears. 
They want somebody, we have a dog at home and, 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 and he has itching ears. He likes it when you, when you scratch his ears. Sometimes cats will be that way. They'll come up and they like it when you scratch their, and itching ears. The Bible says we'll have people in the last days who have itching ears and we'll heap to ourselves false teachers who will scratch that itch. They tell us what we want to hear. They make us feel good. Well, that's my, that's my self-help for the, for the week. Some are looking for a pastor to be their power of positive thinking life coach. Make me feel good. Tell me everything's going to be okay. Tell me how I can get rich and make my life easier if I follow God. And by the way, this sells. Some of the largest churches in America and some of the wealthiest pastors around the world are peddling this prosperity gospel, and they do it with such a happy, winsome style. You can have it all. Just speak the word. Speak it into existence. In God's favor, it's coming. A breakthrough is coming. Go home and turn on the TV. It won't be hard to hear some of those buzzwords this afternoon. And what is that, by the way? There, there are some times where some of the things they preach are scriptural and they're good, but there are many things where they lead people astray. Why? We're looking for a style over substance. Well, that sounds so good and makes me feel so good. One of the most well-known and wealthiest pastors in our country has a weekly television audience of some 7 million viewers because of his style. And not only his style, but the inability of those who claim to be Christians to biblically discern the faults in the substance of his preaching. Preaching like this seems successful and is well-received. The only problem is that so much of what the prosperity gospel preachers teach doesn't line up with Scripture. Jesus said, follow me and you'll, you'll bear your cross. Jesus said, follow me and you'll be hated. Jesus said at times, uh, by the way, none of the disciples lived a prosperity gospel lifestyle. They, they weren't, they, those that followed Jesus the closest didn't get any of that favor that the televangelist wants us to believe in. So who's right? I'll stick with Jesus in the Bible. We have chosen too often style over substance. Others aren't looking for a feel-good life coach. We're looking for a pastor who will be a political pundit, railing against the cultural issues of our day that bother us. Whether it's an ex extreme pastor that, that espouses alt-right ideologies or a theologically liberal pastor whose messages are saturated with social justice emphases, we can find ourselves outside of the bounds of Scripture on all sides of the political spectrum. By the way, when political issues infringe on Bible doctrine, we should address those in the church, and we should preach truth. When, when those things that are happening in our culture go against Scripture, I'm not saying a pastor can't ever preach on political issues, and if it's in Scripture, we ought to preach the truth on those things, but we as Christians, we need to remember that we are called to serve a different king and live for a different kingdom. Pastors should be lifting up King Jesus much more than they are focused on any earthly leader or man-made political system. In other churches, many of our pulpits have turned into leadership seminars. We have churches that fill up every week to hear the equivalent of a TED Talk with a few Bible verses thrown in. We like them because the speaker is engaging, dynamic, or entertaining. Christians, our approach to preaching is we allow preaching into our lives. We must choose substance over style, principle over personality, truth over tradition, the gospel over our favorite guy. The preaching you're listening to. And I'm thankful that there's a plethora of preaching out there, but does it line up with Scripture? The church that you're attending, now you're here today, so I hope the answer is yes. Does it line up with Scripture? Is it saturated with Scripture, or is it just opinions and rants and ideas and personal preferences and feel-good platitudes? Christ-like preaching should be filled with grace and truth. Isn't that what Jesus was full of? Right spirit and right substance. A pastor friend of mine posted this online this week. Jesus was the perfect balance of grace and truth. Not grace without truth. That would be weak and enabling. Not truth without grace. That would be harsh and demanding. But the perfect balance. Jesus had the grace to sit down and eat with sinners. But at the same time, he had the truth to call them to repentance and deliver them from their sin. He had enough truth to call the Pharisees hypocrites, but he had enough grace to pray for their forgiveness even as he was dying at their hands. He had enough grace to forgive the woman caught in adultery, but he had enough truth to say to her, go and sin no more. He had enough grace to save the woman at the well, but only after confronting her with the truth 
of her sin. Believers, what should our approach? There's, you can find preaching to fit any need, to teach anything, to, to do anything you want, any style. What should we, our approach be? Like Aquila and Priscilla, substance over style. Apollos had a pretty persuasive style, and he was a good man, but he was missing some stuff. And you know what they said? Can we, and I'll, I'll talk about it in a minute, but we want to expound the, the, the truth more perfectly to you so that you can be the preacher you need to be. Number two, our approach to preaching, not only substance over style, but number two, collaboration over comparison. I love the fact that Aquila and Priscilla's allegiance was to the work of God over the work of any preacher or pastor in their lives. By the way, they loved the Apostle Paul. They opened their home and let him live with them. They hired him to work with them in their tent-making business so he could supply his needs. When it was time for Paul to leave and to sail to Ephesus, guess what they willingly did? They packed up their business, they packed up their homes, and they said, Paul, if that's what the work of God needs, we're willing to sacrifice. We love you. We believe in you. We believe in the gospel you're preaching. Let's go. But when Paul said, I'm leaving Ephesus, and he said, you're not coming with me, what did they do? They didn't then sit there and say, well, nobody will be like the Apostle Paul. Well, every preacher they heard, well, he's not Paul. Well, there's what's wrong with him. What did they do? They kept serving God. They kept encouraging believers. They kept witnessing to unbelievers. They kept supporting gospel preaching men. Their allegiance was to God, to his word, to his work, and not a man. They loved and appreciated and encouraged and helped Paul, but they didn't have an unhealthy worship of him. Be careful that you aren't constantly comparing a preacher to another preacher. It's one of the dangers now with so much preaching available out there. And, and, and well, I like this one and I like that one. Well, he's funnier. Well, he's, he's more convicting. Well, he preaches on prophecy more. Well, he's this or he's that. And, and if they're preaching the gospel of Christ, rejoice in it. But, but don't pit, well, this one's my, we're going to talk about it in a minute. This one's my favorite. No, what should our approach to preaching be? Collaboration working together with like-minded believers, not comparison or competition, not finding out what's wrong with that one and that one and that one. That's not our God-given duty. Now, we, we can discern. I just talked about it to make sure that we're filtering the preaching in our lives through, through the filter of scriptural preaching, but we ought not have that spirit. Be careful you're not constantly comparing a preacher to another preacher. God uses all kinds of different personalities. If that pastor or church is preaching Christ and is faithful to Bible truth, root for them. Cheer them on. Work with them. Do what you can to see the work go on. Paul said it this way to the church at Philippi in Philippians 1. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. Some people are preaching Christ for the wrong reasons, some for the right reasons. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. They're doing it, and their ministry is all about hurting my ministry, he said. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. The, the other ones, man, they're pulling for us. They're excited about what God's doing in my preaching ministry. What then? How should I respond to those? And by the way, the common denominator was they were all preaching the right thing. Some with the wrong spirit or the wrong motives, but they were all preaching Christ. Do you see it there? Some preached Christ. The one preached Christ, but the other of love. Then what did he say? What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense for the wrong reasons or in truth for the right reasons, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. May I just say this? There are some churches that preach Christ that I wouldn't feel comfortable attending, but if Christ is preached, I'm going to rejoice that Christ is preached. That is not unity at the, at, the, for the, at the sake of doctrine. That's not what I'm saying. Compromise at the sake of doctrine. Paul ad addressed this idea, though, of this spirit. We, we all, if we're not careful, can get the idea, well, I'm the only one doing right. Our church is the only one in Orange County that loves God. Sometimes I'll, I'll cringe a little bit. I'll talk to a, a pastor friend or a, or a church planter or a missionary, and, and they'll say something like, we're going to this city, and, and we're, we're going to plant the only Bible-preaching church in that city. And I cringe. I haven't been to all the cities in America, but if it's America, probably that's not real true. It might be the only one that, that, that does everything the way you want to do it, but most cities in America have, have more Bible-preaching churches than we realize. Have people that are preaching Christ, and some of them maybe in ways I wouldn't be comfortable with. I want you to hold your hand here. We're going to come back to Acts 18. But, but Paul addressed this idea of choosing our, our favorite preacher, comparing and competing with other ministries. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 
I want you to see it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at three verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Remember Apollos? He sails from Ephesus and he goes over and starts preaching in Corinth. And look what happens. As soon as we kind of find a church we like or we find a preacher we like, our tendency is to find out what's wrong with all the other ones so we can feel better about ours. I have the best church. I have the best pastor. And if God sent you to this church, I hope you love this church with all your heart. And if, if I'm your pastor, I hope you, you love and, and appreciate the ministry of God through my life. I hope that's true. But be careful. This isn't professional sports league. You can't only cheer for one team. We can cheer for everybody that's preaching the gospel of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians verse number, chapter 1, verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me, Paul's writing back, of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, somebody tattled, that there are contentions among you. Are they fighting over doctrine? Let's find out. By the way, there are good places for there to be contentions in believers when doctrine is being sacrificed. Verse 12. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of who, church? I am of what? And I of who? Oh, there it is, Apollos. And I of Cephas that you see there, Peter. And I of Christ. Some of you, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. That, that's my Bible college. That's my favorite church. That's, that's where I grew up. I, I like this. I like whatever it might be. And he said, notice what he says in verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Turn over to first, two, two, two chapters, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. He continues talking about their unhealthy approach to him and to Apollos' ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 1. And I, brethren, 1 Corinthians 3, 1. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto what, church? As unto what? Okay, so whatever he's about to address, it's showing them they are not godly. That whatever he's about to address is an indicator in their lives they are not spiritual Christians right now. They're carnal. Even as unto babes in Christ, they're like brand new, it's almost like they forgot everything they'd ever learned. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. You guys are like little spiritual babies. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal. What is it that's causing the carnality? For whereas there is among you, what? Envying and strife and divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? And here's what he says in verse 4. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? This is not about me finding my favorite preacher. This is about us lifting up our Savior. Verse 4, who then is Paul? Paul's writing, who am I? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. We're God's gift to you, but we're not, we're not who you need to be worshiping. I have planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We didn't save anybody. We just did the work in his, in his harvest field. Verse 7, so then neither is he that planteth anything. I'm nothing. Neither is he that watereth. Apollos is nothing. But God that giveth the increase. Get your eyes off men, Corinthian Christians. Get your eyes on Christ. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. That, that we're working together. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. God sees what we're doing. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's, I didn't lay the foundation on me. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And I'll stop there. You can continue on. Paul, he's addressing the church at Corinth. After, after Apollos leaves Ephesus, God is going to use him in amazing ways. And some people are going to get saved. We're going to see it. You can go back over to Acts chapter 18 where we're going to finish up. And, and we're going to we'll finish up looking at a few verses there. They're going to get saved. And because of that, they're going to have a deep love and an appreciation for that man, Apollos, that introduced them to Jesus Christ. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. What is wrong is when the allegiance moves from Christ to the man. It's okay to have appreciation. It's not okay to have allegiance. It's okay to honor. By the way, the Bible says you should honor spiritual leaders in your life. 
The Bible says those that labor in the word should be counted worthy of double honor. And, and, and those are biblical principles, but, but the, what had happened here in these churches was they began to compete, and Aquila and Priscilla didn't do it. Aquila and Priscilla didn't sit there, and they could have, and when they heard Apollos, like, this, no, this is no Paul, I'll tell you that, I heard Paul. All he knows is the baptism of John. He's missing so much. I'm not coming back to hear this guy. And their spirit was not to find what was wrong with Apollos. Now, they didn't cover over doctrinal error, if you will, or things that were missing, but their spirit was not competition or comparison. No, Paul and Apollos had different uh, personalities and different gifts and different accomplishments, but they were all God-given gifts to the work of God. We as believers aren't called to compete with like-minded men who may differ in some slight areas from us. We are called to collaborate, stop comparing, and start collaboring. I'm not sure if you figured this out yet, but we need each other. Cultural Christianity is not becoming more popular in our society and around the world. Yes, doctrine must be what unites us, and I talked about that in point number one. And doctrine will at times divide us, and there will be people we cannot work together with because they do not believe in, they may not believe in the deity of Christ. They may not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. They may not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. They may not believe that there's a heaven or there's a hell. And in those areas, we cannot cheer them on. We cannot rejoice with them because they are making people twofold the children of hell. They're preaching false doctrine. There are places where we have to divide and we can't collaborate but far too often that is not where we divide over those key doctrines we splinter a subset of Christianity down to everybody that grew up exactly like I did that voted for everybody that I voted for that that eats the same kind of food I eat that went to the same college I went to and Paul says here are you not yet carnal when there's strife and envying and divisions we can't unite at any cost, but personalities or backgrounds or slight differences shouldn't divide us. Be discerning if the preaching is unbiblical, but don't be divisive if it is biblical. Can I say that one more time? Be discerning. That's why you have to know your Bible. Be discerning if the preaching is unbiblical, but don't be divisive if it is biblical. Turning back, and let's, let's wrap it up here. What should we look for? How should we respond to preaching? Substance over style. Collaboration over comparison, number three. Humility over hubris. Humility over hubris. First in the pulpit. Humility in the pulpit. What happened in verse 26? I want you to see it. Apollo stands up. I want you to see it. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. He's standing there. He's eloquent. He's mighty in the scriptures. He's preaching Jesus, although there were some gaps. He speaks boldly. And when Aquila and Priscilla had heard it, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Who are they? Aquila and Priscilla? Do you know who I am? I'm Apollos. That even sounds like an important guy, doesn't it? I came from Alexandria. My library has more books than you've ever seen in your whole life. That's how many of us would respond if somebody were to come and question us or challenge us or try to just help us. By the way, I don't think they were questioning or challenging. They were trying to help. But, but we don't see that with Apollos. In fact, what we see in verses 27 and 28 is God sends him and his ministry goes to a whole nother level because now he has some gaps filled in in his preaching. And I see here in this passage, Apollos took the gracious instruction and correction from godly saints. Far too often, pulpits are filled with prideful, arrogant, narcissistic leaders who can't be questioned, who can't be instructed, who can't ever admit that they have an area that needs improvement. May God save us from this. God hates pride. The Bible says he resists the proud. He gives grace unto the humble. By the way, Apollo's preaching, it was not insincere. I don't believe he was preaching for the wrong reasons. And it was not incorrect. He, I don't think he was preaching anything wrong. It was just incomplete. Apollos was not insincere and he was not incorrect. He was just incomplete. He had areas to grow in in his understanding and application of the gospel of Christ in his life and preaching ministry. May I say, I see a lot of Apollos in myself. I've been in the same place and I am still in the same place at times. 
where I am still growing in my understanding and application of the gospel of Christ in my life and ministry. Now, as it relates to salvation, I'm not growing or, or doubting at all in my, the gospel of Christ. I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt if I were to die that I would go to heaven, but the riches of scripture, I'm still growing in those. And the applications in my life of, of the implications of the gospel in my day-to-day -day living and what Christ has done for me, it, at times I'm still growing. And, and if God allows you to have a role in spiritual leadership, may he keep us humble like Paul and Apollos. Paul who said, I have not apprehended. I have not attained. What did he say? I haven't arrived. What is that? That's humility. You know what? And there, I, I've said this before, if you come with the right spirit and, and there's something that I preach that you have a question about, I, I'm not, let's, let's talk about that. If that's the, and, and if there's an area where, where, where I, I'm off in what I'm believing, let's chat about that. And, and I'll dig into study. I'll seek some counsel. I've done it before. The first time I ever preached here, I got back to Northern California. I wasn't the pastor yet. There was an email waiting in my inbox with somebody that was con concerned about a doctrine I believed they felt like from what I had preached. And you know what I did? I didn't respond back. Well, if you don't like it, get out of the church. <laughs> they sent some things for me to read. I read it. I went to men that, that have a greater knowledge of Scripture than I do, and I asked them questions, and I studied the passages, and, and I came to a more solid position of what I believe the Bible taught in that area. God save us from, from hubris in the pulpit. But not only in the pulpit I see here, not only humility in the pulpit, but humility in the pew. Pride is not just found in the pulpit, church. Far too often, pews are filled with prideful, arrogant, cynical, and critical Christians who believe it is their God-given duty to point out every flaw in the pastor or spiritual leader and publicly shame or condemn them, wreaking havoc on church families, causing church splits, discouraging good men and ladies, leaving, leading some to leave the ministry. How many pastors have left the ministry because a church member had a disagreement and handled it in a selfish, prideful, unscriptural way? You see what Aquila and Priscilla did? They sat there and they heard he was incomplete in his understanding of the gospel of Christ, of all that had just taken place. By the way, it was brand new. He hadn't followed Christ that personally in that way. He was a good man. He had a good heart. He was mighty in the scriptures. He was fervent in spirit. He was eloquent. He was bold. He was willing to go to the synagogue and, and point to Jesus. He just didn't understand everything that had just taken place in recent years. And what did Aquila and Priscilla do? They went home and got on Facebook. Went to the synagogue today. That Apollos, you should hear it. That guy, he's so lost. Is that what they did? You know what they did after church? They got to the lobby. Did you hear what that guy said? I'm a little concerned about that preacher. He's, he's never going to make it. I think, I think some false teachings creep, creeping in there. Is that, is that how they handled it? What, did, what did Aquila and Priscilla do? They humbly, quietly, graciously, said, I, maybe it was on a Sabbath. They, can you come over for Sabbath and we'll provide a meal? Let's talk about the scriptures. And I want to share with you what we've learned, what we've seen, what Paul taught us, what we heard the last two years in Corinth. It's life-changing. I want you to know what we know. I don't know how they did it, but I do know from what I read here, it, it looks to me like they handled it with grace, with humility, with respect. They didn't, they didn't cause division. They didn't try to tear him down. They didn't try to discourage him. They didn't try to run him out of town. No, what did they do? They humbly, kindly, quietly, graciously approached Apollos directly. What a beautiful pattern. Are you having a struggle with a leader in your life? You know what you ought to do? Humbly, kindly, quietly, and graciously approach him or her directly. And then lastly, what's our approach to Scripture? What should we be looking for? Change lives over filled minds. Look at verse 27, please. When he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. Hey guys, there's an awesome guy coming, Apollos. You're going to love him. Who, when he was come, what happens now with Apollos? He helped them much, which had believed through grace. What do we see here? What did Apollos' preaching do? It strengthened the believers. He helped them much. Their lives were changed because of his ministry. We should be looking for changed lives over filled minds. Sometimes we view, now, good preaching is going to teach us. And we're going to learn more about the Bible. But preaching is not primarily, and, and hearing preaching is not primary, pr primarily an intellectual exercise. This is not primarily a college course. 
Now, I hope we're growing and learning. The Bible says we should grow in the knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of his word. I hope we're learning some things, but more than just getting puffed up with Bible knowledge, how are we doing applying that which we're hearing? Good preaching should change our lives, not just fill our minds. When he came, he helped them much. Believers were strengthened. Look at verse 28. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. His preaching caused believers to be strengthened and unbelievers to be saved. Again, listening to preaching is not primarily an intellectual exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. Yes, we will learn things, but the primary goal is that we will learn things that we can then live, that our beliefs will affect our behaviors, that it won't just be information, but it will be transformation. Not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Not just a do, a hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Is the preaching in our lives changing us in any way? Is it changing our thinking, changing our behaviors? May I say this? If you can hear preaching on a weekly basis and nothing ever changes, something is either wrong in your heart or wrong with the preaching you're hearing. Because God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. Preaching is what, how shall they be saved if, unless they hear? How shall they hear without a preacher? Preaching is what God uses, one of the vehicles he uses to change our lives. It's why we gather together on a weekly basis. If we can come to church week after week, month after month, year after year, and nothing ever changes as we hear God's, the, the unsearchable riches of scripture opened up weekly and nothing ever changes in our attitudes, Nothing ever changes in our actions. Nothing ever changes in our love for God. Nothing ever changes in our love for our family members. There's something wrong. It's either something wrong with the preaching or something wrong with our hearts that receive the preaching. Preaching is to change lives. That's what God intends. Should not just make us feel good or entertain us for a few minutes on Sunday morning. It should help conform us into the image of Christ. Preaching was God's idea. And in this passage... We see God using it to change many lives in different countries by one man. We learn much of how our approach to preaching should be in this passage. If you're moving and you have to choose a church, if you tune in to preaching online somewhere, if you're thinking about subscribing to a podcast, what should your approach be? What should you be looking for? Substance over style. He's just entertaining. That's great. Is he scriptural? That church has great kids programs. Great. Are they teaching your kids the Bible? They have an awesome facility. Wonderful. Are you growing in Christ through the preaching of the scriptures? The music program, it's my favorite. Good. Is it a scriptural church? Is the, is the preaching saturated with scripture? Substance over style. What should our approach be? Collaboration over comparison. I thank God if they preach Christ like Paul, I therein will rejoice. Doesn't mean compromise at the sake of, of doctrine. It's not what I'm preaching. It means, you know what? Everybody's not going to do everything the way I would do it. And there might be some churches I'm not comfortable going to, but I have to believe God's big enough that he can use those churches to reach people I could never reach. And God's big enough to take care of all of that. And if they're doing something wrong or we're doing something wrong, God will take care of all of that. What we need to focus on, are we being true to Scripture? Not only that, humility over hubris. In the pulpit and in the pew. Don't put your family under a pastor who is consistently angry, condescending, arrogant, whether it's in private or from the pulpit. That's not the spirit of Christ. And by the way, don't be a member like that. It's constantly angry, critical, cynical, grumpy, always finding fault. If there's fault to be found, deal with it kindly, humbly, graciously, and directly. And let's grow together. Go back and read 1 Corinthians 1 and 3 and see what Paul thought when they started dividing over personalities. See what his spirit was. Oh no, humility in the pulpit and in the pew. And then lastly, change lives over filled minds. Come to church every week asking God to change you through the preaching. God, would you teach me so that you can change me? For me, this month, actually, what's the date today? Next week, Saturday, I guess. Is today the 16th? Is that the date? Saturday. This Saturday will be 33 years. 33 years ago, I walked in to a church 
and heard a man, younger than I was at the time, now he's my father-in-law, I married his oldest daughter. I heard him preaching the Bible truth of John chapter number three. And he stood up and he preached a verse and a passage I had never heard before. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And I heard the Bible message that God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for me. And I heard the Bible truth from that pastor that I didn't know his name as I sat there. I didn't know whose daughter's name. I might have seen her and maybe I was looking at her a little bit that day. I don't remember. <laughs> it wasn't too long after that that, we, that I first caught eyes with her. I know that. About long, that was in a fourth grade. Along about sixth grade for me, fifth grade for her was our first little note passing. But, but I didn't know his name. But I heard him preach that God loved me so much. And I heard him preach that if you die without Christ as your Savior, with your sins not forgiven, you'll spend eternity in hell. And I heard him preach that if you want to, you can come to Christ in faith and he can change your eternity. And it was on that Sunday morning after the service, I let a faithful man in the church open the Bible. And that preaching that day changed my life forever. I passed from death into life. As Dr. Sis said last week, I came to church on my way to hell and I left church on my way to heaven. Not because that church had a beautiful music program, although they have a wonderful music program. Not because that church had great facilities, although they have millions, tens of millions of dollars worth of facilities. Not because that church had, had, had a happy spirit, although they have a happy spirit. I left changed because the preaching of the gospel is intended to change lives. And if you've never allowed the gospel to change your life, let today be the day of salvation. Why do we come to church? What should our approach to preaching be? It's not just make me feel good. Tell me something funny. Give me a shot in the arm. Give me a little encouragement just to be a little happier, a little self-help platitude. Give me a little spiritual TED talk. No, or, 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 or you're an intellectual. I just want to learn more. I want you to get deep into the history of, of Corinth and teach me all about it. And I'm not against good, good, deep Bible teaching. I'm not against that. But that's not the priority of preaching. It should be change lives over filled minds is what we're hearing and learning as we come to church is it changing the way that we live if not there's something wrong and if you've never allowed the gospel of Christ to change your eternity let today be the day of your salvation our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed what should our pro there's preaching everywhere you can find it today you pull up your phone you can be listening to preaching from all over the world within minutes what should our approach be substance over style what should our spirit be not looking for what's wrong although we have to be discerning of, of false teaching yes that's where the substance over style comes in but collaboration over comparison and competition humility over hubris in the pulpit and in the pew let's be more like apollos as leaders and more like aquila and priscilla as members and then change lives over filled minds have you been sitting in church for weeks or months and you're not any closer to Christ than you were months ago. You're not any more like him. Something needs to change. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.